0: Hey, you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble falling asleep, getting to sleep. Well, welcome. I hope you're in the right place. This is Game of Drones, the Game of Thrones podcast presented by Sleep With Me that helps you fall asleep. We do it with an episode discussion. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights and press play. We're going to do the rest. What what is the rest? We're going to create a safe place... Where you can set aside whatever's running through your brain, you know, this constant noise, self, uh, whatever they call it, I think it's it's not called self-dialogue, self-criticism is one thing, but it's like a self-commentary, running commentary, it's like you're trying to watch a movie, and the commentary tracks on, and you know, and you're like, wait, I'm not even trying to watch a movie, I'm trying to go to bed, who turned on a movie, and the commentary track from two other movies from my childhood, and then from some future movies that haven't been even been invented yet. And they're not even the commentary tracks from that movie. They're like the uh, ones from the uh, documentary about how badly making that movie went, which I think there's this really good documentary about uh, making the Don Quixote movie. Might be called Man of La Mancha. It's a documentary about that. It was sad, sad stuff. I wonder if the, I don't know if there's a commentary track to that, but um, you know, you don't want that. I'm here. What what was my point? I'm going to distract you from those voices, those discussions. Maybe you just have one voice. You're just like, hey, man, what is that? I'm going to try to distract. You. I'm going to talk about Game of Thrones. I'm going to talk about the episode, and then I'm going to say, you know what? When I was watching the episode, I was thinking about um, you know, whatever. I don't know. Sea lions. And are those the ones that have the the things the whiskers that they have? What do they are those whisk? What do they do with those whiskers? So I looked that up. I went over to the Sea Lion Encyclopedia of the World, which you know happens. So I'll do that. And at first you're going to be like, at first ideally the part of you that's been talking about. Like, Wait a second, did he just say sea lion whiskers? Because I've been wondering about those sea lion whiskers too. And you, it'll stop talking. I'll just, it'll be distracted. I'll catch its attention. Meanwhile, you, that's in charge, you'll be like, yeah, sea lion whiskers. Kinda, I'm kind of tired, though, but those sea lion whiskers, oh, I, I can picture them in my head. I love sea lions. And then hopefully you'll fall asleep. I'll just go, and it'll be like, silly, uh, blah, 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 blah. And by the, Hopefully you'll start hearing that, and then you'll hear nothing. Meanwhile, the part of you that's the chatterbox brain will be like, wait, did he just, he said after he talks about sea lions, He's gonna talk about the spots on seals next. Holy moly, I'm I'm gonna let that dude sleep. I'm just gonna sit here. This is the best. So that's um kind of a summary of what we do here is a safe place where you can set aside all those thoughts. I'll distract you. You know, pretend I'm a strange friend you invited over. As we've said in the past, it's just gonna sit there and chat you to sleep. That's what I do. Uh And I hope I help you fall asleep. I don't know what else to say. I guess I'm distracting myself. But we're on the web, www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. You can email us feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. Older episodes are at uh, sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones for all the Game of Thrones episodes. Game of Thrones stuff comes out on Sunday nights. We have other stuff non-Game of Drones related on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. Or you you can go, you can, if you want to talk to me, if you don't want to email, say hi on Twitter at Dearest Scooter. I try to post sleep-related articles there. Facebook is where I put the bloopers. I was just talking about European loudness standards during the bloopers when I was warming up for the podcast. So if that's not, it's not really in sleep form because I burp and swear and, you know, talk to myself, but. That's that's the bloopers. That's on Facebook. You can also say hi to me on Facebook or talk to me, ask me questions. You know, joke, you know, ask me why, you know, if I have trouble tying my shoes, whatever you feel like. Um, you can comment on the website. Uh, w- one piece of housekeeping. We're going to do the thank yous, but uh, there's been a couple people asking about, well, how can you uh, listen to the podcast in your bed? The overwhelming majority... Respondents has said these sleep phone things, which is like a headband a, a, a earphone thing. I've not to buy one. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to either buy one and check it out, but I'll um, post a link in the show notes. And I, there's two different ones. There's the main leading brand, best reviewed most. There's that one, and then there's a similar one. I think uh, Tisha sent me, so I'll put those in there. That's a little housekeeping, but that's it. Uh, let's let's keep moving. All right. Alright, it's uh, time for uh, thank you prayers, Crone Miller Smith Barkey, Jester Uh you know thankful thankfulness is uh what is uh, what what I'm here to address? Uh, did I use a memo as a metaphor? I'm sending you a memo of thankness. Memo stands for memorandum which is a long way of saying memo, which is a way of saying a short note of appreci. Well, normally memos aren't always, I think it's probably rare you get a memo of gratitude, which is why I took the time. You know, a lot of people, bards and normal, you know, people say, well, I took the time to write you a song, God's so of thankfulness. I'm taking the time to write you a memo of thankfulness. But that'd be more of an earthly thing, probably confusing you guys. Just, to just pretend it's a, Let's let's back it up. If you could forget all that, so like a well, then I have to explain what a letter in a bottle is too. If you have, you probably have that in Westeros. I took a note, I put it in a bottle, I let it go, floated up to the you know, the rivers of, of uh, you know, of my on the rivers. Of gratitude up to you guys for all that you do, but especially the listeners Chris Poster, Posterson, who does our music, Scotty and Jennifer on the icons, Lord and the Lady, the French Silver Tone Thunder from Down Under the General, Divine Miss Sam, Baroness. We got the the link, you know, tons of other people. You know, I can't thank all all of the everyone all the time, but I want to thank some new people. I want to thank LAB Lab Misconduct. I want to thank Patty B, Kimmy C, Victoria M, Arnasu, I believe R. I had to run that through Google Translate, so I hope I got it right. Neam got a new job, congratulations. December said hi, Brian, my, you know, well, so I haven't talked to him in a while on Twitter. Dwarven beer over on Reddit, thank you. Birds on a wire over at the baby center, thank you. Arielle, as always, thank you. Shannon B, who, who, who uh, was who was uh, somebody asked, hey, is there any uh, you know out of the ordinary, a little bit weird podcasts? And uh, uh, Shannon B, who, 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 who turns out is a podcaster, who said, hey, yeah, the stupid me podcast is weird. Hey, you know, I think she meant it in a good way. I took it as a good way, so I want to thank you for that. Bevan H on Twitter, Sarah H on Twitter. Gods, I'm thankful for all these people. The time they take to tell me their stories and interact with me is, you know, God's. It's like uh, it's almost like the like these people that want, you know, want to share with me and fill me up in the absence of you guys, you know, just kicking back, God's, and not doing anything. You know, I have to have, you know, that these people are acting on your behalf even though they're not because they don't know about well they know about you because i talk about you guys but i don't know if they you know they don't have my beliefs strange stuff guys i don't know how you do it but i'm just thankful that you do it so you know i guess you guys are beyond my understanding so far beyond my understanding i wanted to thank some uh, itunes reviews from outside the usa deborah deborah asks thank you from canada Says, first we were wonky, now she definitely recommends. Maude Double L from Canada, thank you. Also, Maude's looking forward to Algorithmic. So, bop, 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 bop. Soon it'll be there, thank you, Maude. Jamie C from the UK says, thank you. You know, says, dreaming of Ray and his endless romantic trysts in the theme parks of the USA, thank you. Ray thanks you for dreaming of Ray. You know, if you want to... You know, pass your personal you know, that's between you and Ray, Jamie. Professional Mapper from the UK says we're better than Colombo or Baseball at putting them to sleep, which is a powerful statement. Thank you. Cat uh, Rye from Canada, you know, was struggling with some PTSD. God, so, you know, you know, keep an eye on Cat Rye. But the podcast is, is helping them get some sleep. So thank you for that. Time Manglerver. Time Ty- Manglover says we're addictive from the USA. Thank you, and then Sally D 316 says we're we're, we're Sally's new fave, and uh, she likes to chuckle at some of the crazy things we say. God, the, probably the things, the words you place in my mouth, with your all um, you you know, your 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 God vision type stuff. So thank you, God, again. What can I say other than thank you? That I don't understand, uh, you know. But you know, whatever. I'll be in touch at the end of the show with more prayers for you. So that's it. All right, guys. Uh, we're gonna run through the rest of the uh, behind-the-scenes extras from season two. And you might be saying, "Well, man, you did that, that." I wanted to finish up this week also. As a bone, I mean, well, one because I started, I want to finish it. I want to make sure to get through every, get to everybody, or do my best to get to all the people that worked on the show. But also. Then we'll start season three, and when we finish season three, according to my calendar, season five will be starting up. What better way to seat prepare for season five than by going through season three, which will prepare us. The uh, uh, well, that's what we'll do anyway, because it's just the the calendar, the way the calendar works out. So uh, yeah, let's go through it. We start with the old gods and the new. And it starts out with a nice interview with Alfie Allen, Theon, talking about breaking the loyalty to get acceptance from his dad. Then they talk about the Winterfell Season 2 and changing locations, the production team. David Nutter talks about the rich possibilities in Theon's return. Gemma Jackson talks about moving the courtyard, and she calls Theon a dreadful young man. She she is not my new heroine by the way, after watching these. Frank Walsh talks about the new location, then Weiss talks about Theon crossing and wine of no return. And he kinds of with Sir Roderick and he describes Sir Roderick as like the tough football coach type father figure for Theon. Uh there's a little thing about Almery Locke, who was a mountain buddy involved in the uh Lannister raid on uh uh Lannister raid on Euron's uh, crew. George R. R. Martin talks about uh, the, uh, uh, how the, pe- good, the pe- common people were having good times up until recently. He uses the term peasants and serfs, which I like. And he says a uh, talk about winter and war, why people are getting a little agitated with Joff. And he says uh, what matters to the common people is how they are doing, not, not like the Game of Thrones that the uh, royals are playing. Then Rory McCann talks about how he hates how Joff, you know, how, how the Hound hates how Joff treats Sansa and reminds of him on some level of how he was bullied as a child and how he's trying to give her some survival skills. Then the production team talks about the Spice King's abode. Frank Dolger, I believe. Dol- Dolger, Frank Dolger. Stresses like not repeating yourself in the world building, which is a great lesson. And he says, that, he says, that when you're building stuff, you may want to make sure it's rich, specific, and complementary. There are three nice words he used. And we hear from Tina Jones, Tom McCullough. And Benioff kind of reflects on Rob's feelings about being betrayed by Theon and how it plagues him with doubt. And how he says, this is going to be a dark night for Rob. Richard Mann Richard Madden talks about Theon and him and Rob's old past as a boy at Winterfell, and now he's kind of becoming a man. Then in the Ghost of Harrenhal, uh, another they have a shot of Renly's armor. Uh, another interesting thing about it is that it has the stag of his house, but the green of the 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 color of the Tyrells. Gwendolyn Christie talks about Renly's death and her helplessness in that situation. David Petraca. Uh, David Petraca. Petraca. David Patricia. Uh The director talks about uh, how using all these elements to create the shadows. Uh, Geth and Anthony talks about how it's fun to film. How it's fun to film, but brutal. And he, he he's funny guy. Yeah, you could tell. He says they can't can't get an actual shadow to kill me. That would be awkward. He says that was funny. Then Alfie Allen talks about uh, how having one ship is, is him is his chance to prove himself, even though it's just one ship. And they use this term. He's trying to g up his sailors and his crew, and they they, they just cut him down. And then we have the lovely Charles Dance talking about how he's interested in all, something about Aria, uh, the way she carries herself and her smarts. And then Martin talks about the the fists of the first men, the old ring for it as he describes it, as stony knuckles. He said, you can see and hear in his words, I mean, where his uh, wonderful writing comes from, his ability to describe things. In a non-boring way, <laughs> and then he also talks about the pyromancers, uh, uh, Valerian sorcerers. They use blood and fire magics, but Valeria was destroyed. And he says that pyromancers are like these would be sorcerers, and they're using like alchemy and spells. And then we have a shot, a, a production shots of uh, Iceland and the Fist of the First Men, Ashley Jeffers. Talks about how the stones were worn and the fort was worn down by nature. Kit Kit Harrington talks about how real it was out there and how also how cold it was. Then Weiss talks about uh, how Mormon already has a path laid out for John. How he's uh, kind of uh, calling him for leadership out in the long future. But John kind of sees this mission with Horn Half Hands as the path he wants to go in. Is you know, get get right in the action. Then we have uh, Nunso Anosi, who talks about Zorro's long game, uh, kind of like chess. Then Gamma Jackson talks about the vault they had built and the icons they use and the lock and the key. Gavin Ju- Jones also pipes in about the mystery surrounding the vault and even Nunso Talks about how, you know, this is like it really works. Then we're over in the episode of uh, Garden of Bones. And Benioff's talking about how Rob is sensitive to the suffering of his soldiers. Because he's like their lord and their protector. And even feels that way towards like the Lannister soldiers. Then Weiss talks about how Tyrion kind of has almost an empathy for Joff. Because Joff had such poor father figures in his life. And then Weiss kind of talks about Joff's little turn of cruelty as uh, sending a message to Tyrion. He's also a sick, sick young man, but he's also trying to send this message that he's like, maybe not the alpha, but something to Tyrion. We also get some more beautiful Kimberly Pope images of Heron Hall. Oh my goodness. Then we hear from uh, Gamma Jackson and Frank Walsh about designing these Heron Hall. Ruins, Gemma talks about Anchor Wat as an influence in Cambodia. Gordon Fitzgerald talks about making it so grim and bloody there. Uh, And we have Carth images from Kimberly Pope. And then Gemma Jackson again talks about outside of Carth, you know, they had found this flattened area that was going to become a graveyard that was perfect for for, uh, the production. And then we hear from Tom. Uh, Molum, who talks about how they raised the walls. They're originally going to be 65 feet. They got up to a hundred feet. Michelle Clapton talks about the costumes and the long process of, of designing. A lot of detail, wonderful details in there. And she says there's just no simple route to getting these things right. And then Gavin Jones talks about the Heron Hall. Equipment like the things like the wrap bucket and designing those things, and how how much went into like, think about what was the materials they would have had on hand at Harrenhal to build stuff, and then they built it like that. Joe Dempsey talks about uh, you know what was going through Gendry's mind and when he was in that situation with the wrap bucket. Dinklet Peter Dinklage talks about Tyrion's kind of freedom from responsibility. Uh, but the burden of uh, honesty and family, and he's aware of the mistakes that Ned made and the dangers of being hand, but just try it, he says. And then my buddy Davos, played by Liam Cunningham, talks about his practical nature and how it conflicts with Melisandra's black magic. And then uh, we go to What Is Dead, May Never Die. We get a stuff about Old Nan, Children of the Forest. We get a production stuff about Renly's camp on the cliffs. Ashley Jeffers, Robert Boak. They talk about like the white chalky cliffs they were building it on. Tina Jones mentions the finery. cc uh, C. Smith talks about the fun of staging the Breanne fight with all these extras. She fights for her moment. She succeeds. Then Dinklage has this great line. He's talking about his relationship with Shea becoming a full-fledged relationship. And then he says he, he has so many balls in the air, but he's very good at juggling. And he just says it so wonderfully. But such a wonderful turn of phrase. So many balls in the air. So, that's the Dinklage talking about Tyrion. But he's very good at juggling. Then we have Alex Sharkoff, the director talking, Sophie Turner talks about her relationship with Cersei in season two and how they both know they hate each other and how that that's interplays uh, uh, an undercurrent that's interplaying in their relationship Benioff talks about Tyrion and creating this ruse to find out who's leaking the information to his sister Natalie Dormer she she talks about how Marjorie is like a person that sees the big picture and the, the alliance she's she's seeing is what's going to be best for the kingdom. And then Weiss has a nice thing. He talks about Theon's baptism seen as being a visual confirmation after he burns a letter and has made his choice to become like a real member of his family, a real ironborn or, or try to. Then we have a nice talk about Joran as a protector of Arya, Francis McGee, Says, you know, he, he, Jorn kind of understands what he, she's going through, losing her father and having this, you know, desire for revenge. Massey Williams kind of talks about how it's a wake up call for her. Then Martin kind of talks about the, 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 the history of the Night's Watch and how they're there to protect the realm. I think he said the wall had been up for 8,000 years and that so the current age is only like 300 years old so there's been people watching that wall the knights watch for thousands of years and he's like but if you got an army up there protecting you you don't want them intervening in the realm affairs you want them protecting the realm but you don't want some king saying hey come fight for us so he said that's what the, you know what all their um oaths and stuff are about you know you guys protect us from the big bad thing outside but stay out of our rich guys business uh, and then in Nightlands, Weiss talks about Tyrion, how Tyrion, he has a sympathy for the weak. Uh, and, then, you know, when he deals with Yannos Slint, he kind of relishes punishing him. Then there's some great pictures of Pike's Great Hall. Martin talks about the Iron Men, uh, the Ironborn, uh, they're like Vikings. They're not from a fertile place, hard scrabble, he says. Balon, he talks about how he wanted to be an independent king and his rebellion against Robert, which was put down. You know, and he talks about uh you know that they're reapers. We take the grain, we take the gold. And then Alfie Allen has a real nice moment here. He talks about how um he talks about how his home was kind of at Winterfell. Talks how his home is Oh, he kind of talks about how, you know, your pike is an alien place for him, and Winterfell is his home, and he felt like he was trying to do the real thing. He he thinks he's trying to do the right thing. He just gets it wrong, and then Gemma Jackson talks about the uh, location they found for burning the uh, icons, and Frank Walsh talks about the islands. Oh, wait, no, and Gemma Jackson kind of talks about Pike and how they found this nice place, and Frank Walsh talks about, you know, they got a sense that the sea was close with barnacles and seaweed and how she made these wonderful tapestries that are water-damaged to show. And they just talk about how much time they put into, like, showing these different cultures and how they're similar but distinct. And then they also talk about the design, Gavin Jones, about Stannis' table, his map table and his map room. How all the effort that went into making that uh, looked like it was carved right out of stone. Then Benioff is talking about Stannis's belief about how he should be king. It's like makes the most sense out of all the other possible kings. He's the one that has the most clear right to the throne. And then they go into the production of Craster's Keep, which is great. And when when they decide to show the White Walkers. And then the la- first episode season, North remembers Jack Gleason talks about Joff kind of getting a chance to throw his weight around and how do you test your limits when you have no limits. And then he kind of talks about his respect as an actor for Sansa and how she just has to endure all this abuse and, and she's just in this awful mess. Then wife talks about how Tyrion decides to return in his armor and when he triumphantly shows up his hand to make a statement to kind of rattle Joff and Cersei and emasculate Joff in some sense and then Martin talks about the symbolism for the white ravens and the ending and changing of the seasons and that the next season is winter so it's time to get to work and start stocking up on stuff and then Gemma Jackson again she talks about Craster's Keep how she kind of like saw it as this gorgeous uh, log cabin she calls it an Ash Jeffers special talking about Ashton Jeffries, and someone, I think it's him, he says uh, there was nothing settish about it. Uh, It was solid. Stuart Britson talks about the false uh, snow horizon he created with fences and blankets. It was really great stuff. And then they talk about the shot on the beach of burning these effigies. And all the thought that went into that, they made them look like they were carved out of old figureheads from ships or masts from ships, And everything that went into burning them, but how they, you know, how much they thought about the size and the shape and the detail. Uh, Gordon Fitzgerald talks a lot about that. And then Benioff talks about how Melisandre is just trying to stop these people from their idol worship, like shake them out of it so that they can, in some sense, she's trying to show them the light, he says. They talk about the Stark camp and using the landscape to work with, you know, creating a camp in, in that that looks realistic. And then we have Lena Hetty, Cersei talking about uh, this is the last thing I wrote, not uh, on purpose, but she talks about how, how sneaky Littlefinger is and how she wants me to get the message like, the don't, f- he's, she says, it's just like this don't fuck with me moment. Very sexy, by the way. But uh, one thing I was taken aback by watching all this. And maybe it's as an outsider looking in. I don't know what the day-to-day things are, but if you're a young person, do yourself a favor. If, if you're unsure of your direction, and watch some of these people, the interviews with them, how proud they are, how happy and fulfilled they seem, at least work-wise, how much uh, their uh, intellectual, emotional curiosities. Uh, seem to be triggered by the work they're doing, like the thought of Weiss Benioff, Martin, like I said, Gemma Jackson, holy moly, talk about uh, just a, man, you just got to watch it and, and say, man, these, it does exist out here somewhere, I think, and I think this is maybe proof, but maybe these people are just miserable people and they're acting, I don't think so, though. They all seem like one, pleasant human beings, but two, they all just seem like uh, I don't know, really stimulated and sati- not satisfied. Like they seem to be constantly pushing themselves to be better at their jobs. I don't know. It's just I get like jealous in some sense. But this podcast kind of does it for me too. But I don't know, just just so nice to see all these people, and it didn't feel contrived at all. It's just like, hey, tell me about this uh, tapestry. Oh, or George, what well, you know, the tapestry. Was originally this and it was, uh, great stuff. So, if you have HBO, go do yourself a favor and check that stuff out. All right, all right. So just a heads up, everybody. I'm gonna last week's episode was pretty massive, and I wanted to try to get to make sure I get to as much of the crew as I could from season two. And if I have time, I'll start to get to the cast as much as I could, you know could go on about the cast. The, the beautiful thing about these behind the scene behind the scenes stuff was how much we get to know some of the behind-the-scenes people. So I'm going to talk about them first, and then the lovely cast. If I don't get to them this season, don't don't worry. I'll get to you. I mean, uh, I don't think they need to worry. I'll be heaping praise on them every single week and every single episode. So first up is Frank Walsh. And I just want to—and this is—so uh, first up is Frank Walsh, who makes a lot of appearances, and I'm going to quote right from his website, Frank Walsh dot co dot uk his biography so this is all copyright frank walsh 2014 biography having initially trained as a jewelry designer and silversmith my work having been exhibited at the walker at the walker art gallery liverpool the guild hall in london chance had me falling under the tutelage of the artist john sturgis who helped me expand my interest in furniture and interior design whilst an undergraduate at hornsey college of art Later, the Middlesex University, graduating with an honors degree in furniture design. With his drive and encouragement, I went on to complete my master's degree at the prestigious Royal College of Art in London, studying architecture. In the transition period from the professorship of Sir Hugh, Cassan, in, the tr- 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 uh, in the transition period from the prof- professorship of Sir Hugh Casson, a legacy that produced many great design alumni, including the product designer James Dyson, architects David Connor and Julian Paul Tuck, and film designer Anton Furst. It was a lecture given by Anton on lasers and their use in events that fired my interest in pursuing a career in the fields of performance and the design of stage settings. On graduation, my wide-ranging knowledge in the history, design, and drawing of architecture allowed me to break in to the very close-knit family that was the world of feature films, being offered a position immediately on graduation working for Ken Adam as a junior draughtsman on Moonraker, and then followed a rise through the film industry on some of the most influential films ever produced. Luckily, my potential was spotted early working for designers including Elliot Scott with visual effects supervisor Dennis Murren of ILM in just four year, after just four years in the industry, was elevated to the role of art director working on Bill Forsythe's film, Local Hero. It has been my great fortune to work with directors such as Lewis Gilbert, Guy Hamilton, Jean de Bont, John Frankenheimer, Shekhar Kapoor, David Leland, Ken Russell, Richard Ayers, Terry Gilliam, Gregor Jordan, Christopher Hampton, Alejandro Amonbar, Toby Hooper, Clint Eastwood, Andrew Adamson, Robert Stromberg, James Mateague, Neil Marshall, Luke Besson, John Lee Hancock, just to name a few, watching and learning from them plying their craft. My early training to hand draw with a pencil and ruler on a drawing board enabled me to collect calculate the data for lens choice and focal length thereby creating the prospective projections required at the time by visual effects this tutoring equipped me to be both knowledgeable and supportive of the requirements and inherent limitations of visual effects as one of the first art directors who embraced new digital design technology i was keen to integrate computer-aided design with the best of the craft approach from within the traditional art department Without a doubt, I was probably the first self-taught UK art director to build their own website from scratch, and I have constantly been at the forefront learning and advocating the exploitation of computer-aided design skills. As a champion for the potential for further integration of the art department and visual effects department, I welcome and celebrate the new attitudes and skills we are seeing on more and more films, such as Gravity. I endeavor to keep learning, pushing my own and project's boundaries, This event manifested recently while working with Robert Stromberg, two-time Oscar winner for production design, on his directorial debut for Disney, retelling the story of Sleeping Beauty with Angelina Jolie in the title role of Maleficent. However, my philosophy is always to use the most cost-effective and visual solution available. In order to achieve the desired look for production, the balance between physical and digital sets creatively, financially, and logistically will always require a choice made carefully from an educated perspective. This ability to budget and structure effective design teams is often sought out by producers and looked for. This ability to structure and budget effective design teams is often sought, often sought out by producers looking for guidance on projects and development. And I am able to deliver cost-efficient efficient visual solutions to a brief to my great pride i was nominated for an emmy for my work and the highly acclaimed hallmark television drama cleopatra and won an emmy for game of thrones which i joined to oversee the second series i've also won awards twice from the american art directors guild for my work on inception oh man this guy is genius and again game of thrones and i feel my nomination for my work on elizabeth the golden age Know, and a nomination for my work on Elizabeth the Golden Age. By these, I feel my esteemed peers have flatteringly acknowledged the skills I've worked so hard to bring to my craft. There's a lot more there about uh, Frank Mar. There's a lot more there about Frank Marshall's biography, and you can check it out on his website. But wow, I mean, talk about someone. I don't know. I'm kind of speechless. I mean, this is a guy who's clearly a hard worker, clearly pushes his own limitations. And uh, his interest in his, uh, what do you call that, uh, proclivity or whatever, or uh, aptitude. You know, they met at just the right place and he had the right mentors. But he also had the drive, uh, the creativity, and this intellectual, you know, all the different stuff he's talking about there. So, wow, talk about uh, someone to look up to, whether you're in visual design or visual effects or costuming or writing, or even, you know, your doily maker, or baker, or anything, you know, accountant probably, I don't know, but I just I just really appreciate uh, stuff like this, so uh, c- congratulations, uh, to Frank, uh, to, congratulations to Frank, congratulations Mr. Frank Walsh for just being magnificent uh, art director. You might say, well, "What does an art director do?" Can I get a job in art direction? Well, over at uh, this website, so Sakanu s o k a n u dot com, over at that careers art director. What is an art director? And they have they have a little career test over here you could take. Uh, an art director is someone who is responsible for the visual style and images in magazines, newspapers, product pa- packaging, movie and television productions. They create the overall design and direct others who develop artwork and layouts. About 12% of art directors work for advertising and public relation firms. Others work for newspapers and magazine publishers, specialized design services, firms, the theater, motion picture, and video industries. What does an art director do? An art director typically oversees the work of other designers and artists who produce images for television, film, live performances, advertisements, or video games. They determine the overall style or tone desired for each project and articulate their vision to artists who submit images such as illustrations, graphics, photographs, charts, and graphs on stage and movie sets. An art director will work with the art and design staff and advertising agencies, public relations firms, book, magazine, newspaper publishers to create designs and layouts. They also work with producers and directors of theater, television, or movie productions to oversee set designs. Their work requires them to understand the design elements of projects, inspire other creative workers, keep projects on budget and on time. Sometimes they are responsible for developing the budgets, budgets and timelines. An art director will typically do the following. Determine how to best represent a concept visually. Determine which photographs, art, or other design elements to use. Develop an overall look or style of a publication, advertising campaign, theater, television, or film set. Supervise design staff rank and approve designs, artwork, photography, and graphics developed by staff members. Talk to clients to develop an artistic approach and style. Coordinate activities with other artistic or creative departments. Develop detailed budgets and timelines. Present designs to clients for approval. Art directors work in a variety of industries and the type of work they do varies somewhat with the industry. However, almost all art directors set the overall artistic style and visual image to be created for each project and oversee a staff of designers and more. How do you become an art director? Art directors need at least a bachelor's degree in art and design and previous work experience. Depending on the industry, they may have worked as graphic designers, illustrators, copy editors, photographers, or an art or design application, op- occupation before becoming art directors to supplement the work experience in those occupations and show their ability to take on a more creative or managerial role. Some complete a Master's of Fine Arts or a Master's of Business Administration degree. An art director often works for three to five years in another occupation before being selected for a position as an art director. Many art directors have a portfolio, a collection of their work that demonstrates their styles and abilities. Managers, clients, and others look at this portfolio when they are deciding whether to hire the person or contract for his or her work. So that's just a little bit about art directors, if any of you, you know, it interests any of you as a career. Now, i got to be honest, like, uh, and I said it already, is uh, my hero, or the person I have most admired, and I'm not sure exactly why, I think just the way their enthusiasm and their intelligence was uh, Gemma Jackson, who... Unfortunately, there's not a lot. I couldn't find any good interviews with her because, I mean, well, everything was up there on the screen. So if you're looking for a heroine, uh, go ahead and watch the extras from season three. But I'll just, uh, I, you know, I want to give her, her a little bit of do. So I just want to read through the sparse Wikipedia entry. Gemma Jackson is a British production designer who has worked on both television and film. She's won two Emmys, one for the television show Game of Thrones and the other for the miniseries John Adams. She was nominated at the 77th Academy Awards. She was nominated at the 77th Academy Awards in the category of best art direction for her work on the film Finding Neverland. She shared her nomination with Trisha Edwards. Some films she's worked on are Blaming it on the Bellboy, A Far Off Place, Squanto Warrior's Tale, Tom and Huck, The Borrowers, Bridget Jones's Diary, and Finding Neverland. And I that's I mean she has I I don't but I mean what a wonderful! I don't, I don't, I can't say enough. And as far as like, I, I don't have any ability to do anything design related. It's just not the way my mind works. Oh, but, which is, and that sometimes when you see someone that can do something that you couldn't, not even like, oh, well, if you crack down, you could learn, no, there's stuff I could never really possibly do. Why well, these behind the scenes people for Game of Thrones, but that seeing their enthusiasm, and the way they came at these problems and their, their thought processes makes it even more wonderful and unbelievable. Uh, I don't know, just seeing people excited about their creative process and giving the opportunity to create something wonderful and then share it with you uh, is great. So and that's what I appreciate about Gemma Jackson. Uh, there was a couple of great asides by Stuart Briston, B R I S D O N Briston. Briston who, uh, according to IMDB, is known for his work on Shakespeare in Love, Chocolat, Finding Neverland. He's worked on 37 episodes of Game of Thrones as a special effects supervisor and a whole lot of other stuff, including The Magical Legend of Leprechauns, the TV movie, but also you know, a ton of A-list stuff. One thing this might bring up is what is where visual effects? In filmmaking, visual effects abbreviated VFX are the processes by which imagery is created and or manipulated outside the context of a live-action shot. Visual effects involve the integration of live-action footage and generated imagery to create environments which look realistic but would be dangerous, expensive, impractical, or simply impossible to capture on film. Visual effects using computer generated imagery have recently become accessible to independent filmmaker with an introduction of affordable and easy to use animation and com- com- compositing software. This is all according to Wikipedia timing. Visual effects are often integral to movie story and appeal. Although most visual effects work is completed post-production, it usually must be carefully planned, it, not usually, <laughs> must be canned, cl- carefully planned and choreographed in pre-production and production. Visual effects uh, are primarily, as we said, executed in post-production with mul- use of multiple tools and technologies such as graphic design, modeling, animation, and similar software, while special effects such as explosions and car chases are made on set. A visual effects supervisor is usually involved with the production from an early stage to work closely with the production in the film's director, design, guide, And lead teams to require the achieved desire effects Visual effects may be divided into at least four categories Matte painting and stills Digital or traditional paintings or photographs Which serve as background plates for keyed or rotoscoped elements Live action effects Keying actors or models through blue screening and green screening Digital animation, modeling, computer graphics, lighting, texturing, rigging, animating, rendering computer-generated 3D characters, particle effects, digital sets, and backgrounds. Digital effects, commonly shortened to digital FX or FX, are the various processes by which imagery is created and or manipulated with or from photographic assets. Digital effects often involve the integration of still photographies and computer-generated imagery in order to create environments which look realistic but would be dangerous, costly, or simply impossible to capture in-camera. FX is usually associated with still photography world in contrast to visual effects, which would be associated with motion film production. Now, you might be saying to yourself, uh, hey, you're, hey, you're talking all about this crew. How many, how many awards does this cast and crew won? Well, I got in front of me the uh, twenty fourteen Emmy wins and nominations, so for Game of Thrones. So let's just run through those, smart Alec. And I realized those, you know, that was, that was season. Probably this is season. And it was for this current season, but so I apologize. But uh, outstanding writing for a drama series, twenty fourteen, Game of Thrones for the children, uh, written by Benny and Weiss. Outstanding hairstyling for a single camera series. Game of Thrones for The Lion and the Rose. And that was Kevin Alexander, Candace Banks, Rosalia, Kalora, Gary Machen, and Nicola Mount. Outstanding makeup for a single-camera series, non-prosthetic. Game of Thrones for Oathkeeper, Jane Walker, and Anne McEwen. Outstanding music composition for a series' original dramatic score. Game of Thrones, The Mountain and the Vi- Viper. Raman Jawadi, Outstanding Art Director for a Contemporary or Fantasy Series Single Camera, Winner, Game of Thrones, The Laws of Gods and Men, Deborah Riley, Production Designer, Paul Girardani. Art director and Rob Cameron, set director. Uh, outstanding prosthetic makeup for a series, miniseries, movie, or special. Winner, Game of Thrones, The Children. Jane Walker and Barry Gower. Outstanding casting. This should be a winner for a drama series. It's not, though. Nina Gold and Robert Stern. Well, I mean, casting. Holy moly. Outstanding sound editing for a series. Game of Thrones Watchers on the Wall. Tim Kimmel, Jed M. Dodge, Tim Hans, Paul Fairfield, David Klotz, Bradley Katona, Brett Voss, Jeffrey Wilholt, Dylan Wilholt. Outstanding Cinematography for a Single Camera Series, Game of Thrones Two Swords, Jonathan Freeman. Outstanding Sound, Mixing for a Comedy or Drama Series, One Hour. Watchers on the Wall, Ronan Hill. Richard Dyer, only Blank, and Matthew Waters. Outstanding cinematography for a single-camera series, Game of Thrones, Lion in the Rose, for Annette, for Annette Hailmig. Hailmig. it's a long A, right? Hailmig, for Annette Hailmig. Outstanding special and visual effects winner, Game of Thrones, The Children, for Joe Bauer, Yorn, Grosshans, Steve Colback, Adam Chazen, Eric Carney, Sabrina Gerhardt, Matthew Rulau, Stomp, Thomas Schalense, and Robert Simon. Outstanding costumes for a series winner Game of Thrones, A Lion in the Rose, Michelle Clapton, Sheena Witchery, Alexander Fordham, and Nina Ayers. Outstanding stunt coordination, Game of Thrones, Paul Herbert. Outstanding directing for a drama series, Watchers on the Wall, Neil Marshall. Outstanding supporting actor in a drama series, Peter Dinklage. Outstanding drama series, Game of Thrones, Benioff, Weiss, Carolyn Strauss, Frank Dolger, Bern- Bernadette Caulfield, Vince gerardus Gaiman Cassidy, George R. R. Martin, Chris Newman, and Gary Spence. Outstanding supporting actress in a drama series, Elena Headey, Cersei Lannister. Outstanding guest actress in a drama series, Diana Rigg. Outstanding guest actress in a drama series, 2013, Diana Rigg. Outstanding sound design. Oh wait, we might be going back. Outstanding sound dis- sound edit. Outstanding sound editing for a series, 2013. So we moved into 2013, and now his watch has ended. James Moriana, Tim Kimmel, Paula Fairfield, Tim Hands, Jed M. Dodge, Bradley Katona, David Klotz, Brett Voss, and Jeffrey Willhoit. Outstanding Art Direction for a Single Camera Series, Game of Thrones, Valhar Doharis, Gamma Jackson, Andy Thompson, Robert Cameron. Outstanding Sound Mixing for a Comedy or Drama, One Hour. And Now His Watch is Ended. Ronan Hill, Richard Dyer only blank and Matthew Waters outstanding cinematography 2013 Misa Robert McLaughlin Robert McLaughlin outstanding drama series 2013 Game of, Dr- <laughs> Game of Thrones Benioff Weiss Carolyn Strauss Frank Dolger Bernadette Caulfield gaimon Cassidy Vince Gerardus George R. R. Martin Vanessa Taylor Gary Newman Greg Spence Outstanding Costumes for a Series 2013 Walk of Punishment, Michelle Clapton, Alexander Fordham, Chloe Aubrey. Outstanding Single-Camera Picture Editing for a Drama Series, Reigns of Castamere, Oral Adi. Outstanding Hairstyling for a Single-Camera Series, Second Sons, Kevin Alexander, Candace Banks, Rosalia Colora, Gary Matchen, and Dana Calder. Outstanding non-prosthetic makeup for a single-camera series, Kissed by the Fire, winner. Paul Engelin, Melissa Lackerstein, Daniel Lawson Johnson, and Martina Byrne. Outstanding prosthetic makeup for a miniseries, movie, or special, Valhara O'Haris, Paul Engelin, Connor O'Sullivan, and Rob Trenton. Outstanding writing for a drama series, Reigns of Castamere benioff and weiss outstanding actor and outstanding supporting actor in a drama series ping at peter dinklage as Tyrion lannister outstanding special visual effects Twenty thirteen Valhar 13 doaris joe bauer yorn grossons doug campbell steve callback Stuart briston sven martin jabbar Rossani, tobias monowitz adam shaysen Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series, Amelia Clark. Outstanding Casting, again for a Drama Series, did not win, somehow, Nina Gold and Robert Stern. Outstanding Casting for a Drama Series, 2012, Nina Gold and Robert Stern. Outstanding Drama Series, 2012. Uh, they also, same people were nominated for that, same people were nominated for Outstanding, and won for Outstanding Makeup. For Outstanding Makeup in a single camera series, uh, for the old gods and the new. That's Paul Engelin, a minute Melissa Lackerstein, Outstanding Costumes 2012, The Prince of Winterfell, Michelle Clapton, Alexander Fordham, and Chloe Aubrey. And here's a here's a big one for us tonight. Outstanding Art Direction for a Single Camera Series 2012, Garden of Bones, Gamma Jackson, Frank Walsh, and Tina Jones. Outstanding Visual Effects, 2012, Valar Magulis Winner. Renier Gambos, Yuri Stanosik, Sven Martin, Steve Colbeck, Jan Fielder, Chris Stenner, Tobias Manowitz, Theo Ewers, and Adam Jason. Outstanding Sound Editing for a Series, 2012, Blackwater, Winner. James Morena, Peter Brown. Kira Rosler, Tim Hands, Paul Alicino, Stephen Robinson, Vanessa Lapito, Vanessa Lapato, Brett Voss, Jeffrey Wilhoy, David Klotz, Outstanding Sound Mixing for a Comedy or Drama Series One Hour, Blackwater, Winner, Matthew Water, Water Matthew Waters, Only Blank, Ronan Hill, and Mervyn Moore. Outstanding supporting actor in a drama series, Tyrion uh, Peter Dinklage as Tyrion Lannister. Outstanding hairstyling for a single camera series. Old Gods in the New, Kevin Alexander, Candace Banks, Rosalia Colora, and Gary Machin. Outstanding prosthetic makeup, Valar Margulis, Paul Engelin, Connor O'Sullivan, Rob Trenton. Outstanding stunt coordination 2011 for The Wolf and the Lion, Paul Jennings. Outstanding Visual Effects 2011, Fire and Blood. Adam McInnes, Angela Barson, Lucy Ainsworth-Taylor, Ralph Morant, Henry Badgett, Damian Mace, Stuart Briston, and Graham Hills. Outstanding Directing for a Drama Series 2011 winner is coming the pilot, Tim Van Patten. Outstanding Costumes for a Series 2011, The Pointy End. Michelle Clapton and Rochelle Webb. Croizier Outstanding Drama Series twenty eleven Game of Thrones Benny Off Weiss Martin Vince Gerardis Ralph 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 Vicananzia gaimon Cassidy Carolyn Strauss Frank Dolger and Mark Huffman Outstanding Sound Editing and Golden Crown Stefan Hen- Henrik's, Tim Hans. Michelle McCormick Steve Fanagan. Andy Kennedy Joe Stevenson Robin Whitaker. Kameoe Doyle, Agoan McDonald's, Outstanding Writing for a Drama Series, Baylor by Benioff and Weiss, Outstanding Main Title Design, 2011 Winner, Game of Thrones, Angus Wall, Robert Fang, Kirk Shintani, Hamid Sarkat, Hamid Sarkat, Outstanding Casting, again to in 2011, Nina Golden, Robert Stern, Outstanding supporting actor in a drama series winner, Peter as Tyrion Lannister. Outstanding makeup for a single camera non prosthetic. Paul Eng- Englund. Paul Engelin and Michelle Lackerstein again. Outstanding prosthetic makeup. Paul Engelin and Connor O'Sullivan. And finally, outstanding hairstyling for a single camera series twenty eleven for a golden crown. Kevin Alexander and Candace Banks. Such so as some of the praise just from the Emmys that has been heaped on our uh, cast and crew of Game of Thrones. And when I say "our," I mean uh, our, you know, the show we love. Not, not that uh, you know what I mean. All right, quick, uh, congr- late congratulations to uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, Rainier Gambos. This is from August twenty, August twenty fourteen, visual effects supervisor. Renier Gambo best known for his Emmy-winning visual effects supervisor, Renier Gambo best known for his Emmy award-winning work on Game of Thrones, will be joining virtual reality firm 8i this week as an executive creative director. I'm thrilled to be joining 8 Eyes. this is from Variety, uh, 8i's team of visionaries and expert technicians and of developing what is clearly the future of content viewing. This technology is one of the biggest evolutionary steps in communication and storytelling. This technology is one of the biggest evolutionary steps in communication and storytelling since the invention of film, said Gombos in a statement. Known for its relevance in the startup field, New Zealand-based 8i focuses on breakthroughs in virtual reality. The company is currently in development of its 8i VI The company is currently in development of its 8i VR project and advancement of 3D technology recently closed a $1 million seed investment round. Gombos, who appeared on Variety's 2014 Below the Line Impact Report, received his second Emmy nomination this year for his work on Cosmos, a space-time odyssey. He also worked on 2013's Beautiful Creatures. 8i is excited to have one of the world's most sought-after VFX. 8I is excited to have one of the world's most sought after VFX supervisors on board, said 8I's chief executive Link Gasking. Said 8I's chief executive Link Gasking in a statement. Gombos is a fantastic compliment to 8i's outstanding creative team and its vision of creating extraordinary experiences for our clients in 8i VR. So congratulations, Rainier, or Mr. Gombos. CC Smith comes up a few times. In the extras, not only just speaking, but people talking about how wonderful it was to work with them, doing stunts. And he re, he's another person who just seemed incredibly excited about doing a good job and you know stimulated by their job. So I just want to go through some of the stuff he's worked on because it's pretty impressive. C.C. Smith was a, a, a sword master on Game of Thrones for 30 episodes. And I don't know if he worked on season five or not. He also worked on The Filmmaker Son, Les Mis, The Movie, Merlin, The TV Show, The Hollow Crown TV miniseries, Sherlock Holmes, The Game of Shadows, Captain America, The First Adventure, Harry Potter, Potter and The Deathly Isles, Part 1 and 2, Your Highness, Wild Target, The Wolfman, Sherlock Holmes, Primeval, Primeval Young Victoria, Inkheart, Wanted, National Treasure Book, A Secret, Stardust, Hot Fuzz, Breaking and Entering, Children of Men. United ninety three half light. Siri a Batman begins. King Arthur, Henry the Eighth, Johnny English, my hero, Reign of Fire, Forsyth, goes on and on, Spy Spiking band of brothers. Mummy returns. One hundred and two Dalmatians. Billy Elliot, Gladiator, Sleepy Hollow. The word is the world is not enough. The magic legend of leprechauns. I think that came up already once. Taggart. One again, many more, many more. So, great job, C.C. Smith. Uh, The name, when I was looking up stuff about C.C. Smith and being a sword master for Hollywood, one thing that came up was uh, the name Bob Anderson. I don't believe he worked on Game of Thrones. But it seems like as far as uh, uh, fight choreography, he he seems to be, especially with swords, he seems to be the the, the one that... uh, a legend. So let's read a little bit about Bob Anderson, fencer. Robert James Gilbert Bob Anderson was born September 1922 and passed in January 2012. He was an English Olympic fencer, a renowned film fight choreographer with a cinema career that spanned more than 50 years, and included films such as The Highlander, The Princess Bride, the Mask of Zorro, the Lord of Rings, and die another day. He was regarded as the premier choreographer of Hollywood sword fighting, and during his career, he coached many actors in and swordsmanship, and clearing, including Earl Flynn, Sean Connery, Antonio Banderas, Viggo Mortensen, and Johnny Depp. Okay, if you uh, if you're awake and you have a seatbelt bucklip for this next line. He also appeared as a stunt double for Darth Vader's lightsaber battles in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. That's that's right. Anybody remember Darth Vader sword fighting in uh, Empire Strikes Back? Uh, A little Bob Anderson. Thank you, sir. Biography. Anderson was educated at the Royal Hospital School in Raleigh House. It was here he began to fence. Anderson joined the Royal Marines and won several combined service titles in the sport of fencing. He served in the Mediterranean during World War II. As a competitive fencer, he represented Great Britain at the Helsinki 1952 Summer Olympic Games and the World Championships in 1950 and 53 in the Sabre event. He tied for fifth in the Team Sabre event in Helsinki in 1952. After his retirement from fencing competition, he studied under Professor Robert Croncier, and was appointed the first official British national coach in charge of the national training system the day he was awarded his first, the day he was awarded full professorship. This is all from Wikipedia. He succeeded Professor Cro... <laughs> I forgot how to say it already. cross. How did I say it? Cross cross ni He succeeded Professor Crosnier as president of the British Academy of Fencing. During the late 50s and 70s, he traveled around Britain, and between fencing fencing courses, he combined his official duties with film and television work, eventually emigrated to Canada, where he became a technical director of the Canadian Fencing Association in Ottawa. During the 1960s and 70s, he was also president of the British Academy of Fencing. Anderson's cinema career, Mr. Anderson began in 1953 when he choreographed fights for Four and coached Earl Flynn in The Master of Ballantrae. During rehearsal for a scene, he accidentally slashed Flynn on his thigh, leading to notoriety in Hollywood as the man who stabbed Earl Flynn. He went on to work as a stunt performer and or fight choreographer in films such as The Guns of Navarone and Bond films from Russia with Love and Casino Royale. His stature in Hollywood was cemented when he was selected by Stanley Kubrick, his stature in Hollywood was cemented when he was selected by Stanley Kubrick in 1974 to act as the swordmaster for Barry Lyndon. Anderson subsequently went on to be involved in all three citation needed of all the original Star Wars films. Anderson did not receive much recognition for his work for years after the initial release. Mark Hamill. In 1983, revealed Bob Anderson was the man who actually did Vader's fighting. It was always supposed to be a secret, but I finally told George I didn't think it was fair anymore. Bob worked so bloody hard that he deserves some recognition. Mark Hamill, American hero well, British and Canadian fencing hero or hero um, promoter. It's ridiculous to preserve the myth that's all done by one man. Anderson in 1994 specified that for The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, he staged the lightsaber duels and wore the Vader costume in fight scenes. David Prowse, who played Vader, said he did his own swordplay in Star Wars films, but afterwards, having one of the principals do his own stunts made the filmmakers very weird from an insurance point of view. Anderson continued to work in cinema for the next 30 years and was responsible for swordsmanship in many films, including Highlander, uh, Princess Bride, I mean, well, it was Star Wars and the Princess Bride and Highlander, and then the Three Musketeers, Mask of Zorro, Pirates of the Caribbean, and The Lord of the Rings. Shortly before his death, he was working on The Hobbit. He had a reputation for being a perfectionist, and with director Martin Campbell giving him the nickname Grumpy Bob, oh, Bob. Anderson was, interview- Anderson, well, Anderson was interviewed at in length for the 2009 documentary on cinematic sword fighting, Reclaiming the Blade, where he commented, I never took up the sword. I think the sword took me up. So that's Bob Anderson, folks. Uh, next up, a wonderful name to say, Stefan Fangmeier. Stefan Marcus Fangmeier, born in 1960, El Paso, Texas. He's an American visual effects supervisor of numerous feature films, including Lemony Snicks, Snickets and Unfortunate Events, uh, including Lemony Snickets and a series of unfortunate events, Saving Private Ryan, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Twister, Perfect Storm, Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. He's also been a second unit director for two films, Dreamcatcher and Galaxy Quest, after more than 15 years of visual work. After more than 15 years of visual effects work, Fangmeier moved into feature film directing with his, his debut on Aragon. So that's Stefan Fangmeier. This is another Game of Thrones award I found. It's, uh, this is over at sag Stunt performers from Skyfall and Game of Thrones are recipients of the honors for outstanding action performances by film and television stunt ensembles. Or ensembles if you speak English. Los Angeles, January 27, 2013. The stunt performers and coordinators from Skyfall and Game of Thrones are recipients of this year's honors for outstanding action performances by film and television stunt ensembles. It was announced today from the 19th Annual Screen Actors Guild Awards Red Carpet by Screen Actor Guild Awards Committee Chair Joe Beth Williams and Committee Member Scott Bakula. Yeah, uh, the mounts. Been, uh, uh, this is just more details. But well, let's just read the names of the winners. Outstanding action performance by a stunt ensemble, ensemble in a television series, Game of Thrones. Rob Cooper, Jamie Edge, Edge, Edge Jamie Edge, 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 Edgeal, Jamie Edgeal, Dave Fisher, Dave Foreman, Paul Herbert, Michelle McCown, Cian Milne, Jimmy o Dominokos Pardani Dominocos Pardani Marcus Shakechef, CC C. Smith and Mark Southworth congratulations to all wait I, I, you might as well be I heard Paul, Erbert, or Paul er, Herbert or Paul Herbert or Herbert I think depending on uh what, where on the pond you live uh and I, I remember him being interviewed he seemed like a real nice guy well, he's a stunt coordinator he's worked on Many other things, including right now the untitled John Wells project, Suffragette, Mordecai, Game of Thrones for 30 episodes, Jack the Giant Slayer, Les Mis, Gambit, Merlin, Dot Nabby, Doc Martin, Johnny English Reborn, Your Highness, and you can start to see these people have like liked to work with each other, or you know, or you know, or, or some sort of you know close team. Uh, Attack on the Block, Centurion, Doctor Who, Into the Storm, Pirate Radio, Demons, Valkyrie, Incart, Franklin, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, Hunger, Doomsday, Incendiary, In Bruges, National Treasure Book of Secrets, The Old Golden Compass, Elizabeth the Golden Age, Eastern Promises, 1408 Hot Fuzz, The Good Shepherd, Flyboys, it goes on and on. That's Paul Herbert. Uh, Neil Marshall is one of the wonderful directors from this season, but uh, he also has a nice article about him about uh, other stuff he wants to do over at Vanity Fair. Game of Thrones big battle director Neil Marshall either wants to direct a Black Widow movie or unleash those dragons. This is from August 21st, 2014, by Joanna Robinson. Neil Marshall had already made a name for himself long before he started working on Game of Thrones. The self-proclaimed action addict is a writer-director behind the hit cult classic The Descent. Wow, writer-director of Descent was well ahead of the curve when he had put a shirtless Michael Fassbender in his sword and snow boot epic Centurion, but he's earned attention from a whole new crowd as the big battle specialist on Game of Thrones. During the show's second season, Marshall was called in at the last minute to direct what ma- many consider the most impressively cinematic episode of television, Blackwater. I don't want to spoil it, but he also worked on Watchers on the Wall. Uh, Vanny Fair asks, did you see a big difference when you were allowed to get away with this time after your first episode was so successful? So he talks about how the budget went up. Uh, well, read, I don't think it's spoiled. Certainly the budget has gone up, but they won't tell me what it is. They only tell me when I can't do something. The only time that came into play was early on, in the first draft of the script involved 12 mammoths and 12 giants at that some point that may have changed okay there's definitely spoilers there more spoilers more spoilers here's one as an archer yourself are you sad you'll never see a real life giant shoot a bow and arrow in the episode the bow is as tall as the giant so it's 15 feet in reality it's as tall as the guy playing the giant so it's eight feet So myself and the armorer on the show did have a go with it. The arrows are like the size of javelins. Did you hit anything? No, not with that thing. I barely grazed the target. Would you want to do a big dragon battle? Oh, I'd definitely like to unleash the dragon someday. Oh, it says here he's friends with Liam Cunningham. Okay, this is a little controversy here. Actress Maisie Williams recently spoke out against snobby book readers. Have you had any bad experiences with that side of the fan base? Yeah, I got plenty of grief for Blackwater because in the books, there's a huge chain across the harbor that features prominently in the battle. And And we simply weren't able to do it with our budget and do it any justice, so we had to lose it. My point is... That it's detail, but it's nothing to do with the drama of the story. The drama is Tyrion trying to prove himself, and that's got nothing to do with the chain. So for the book readers, the chain exists, and it will always exist. But there is, has, and always will be changes made for the TV series. And in a lot of ways, there are improvements on the book. One example is the watchers on the wall and some of the things that happen. Before Game of Thrones, you had a successful film career, but you've spoken about how, even after making a hit like The Descent, you struggle to have creative control in the film world. Has the widespread admiration for your work on Game of Thrones changed your ability to get projects started or made the way you want them to be? It certainly opened the door for me to do a lot more work in television, but it doesn't necessarily translate to the film world. It's partly to do with the work, it's partly to do with me, and it's partly to do with how the industry's changed over the last four or five years. It's harder to get features made. The stuff that I want to do falls at a weird budgetary level where it isn't super low and it isn't mega budget, and there's a lot less of those films making being made these days. Will audiences even want to see something like that in the cinema, or will they want to watch it at home and download it? On the other hand, I've been given a large degree of creative freedom on TV. The guys on Game of Thrones trust me implicitly to take care of the action stuff. I don't mess with their drama, but they allow me to come up with ideas, but... Like, hey, what if the giant had a bow? Here's an interesting question. So what's the difference between episodes like Blackwater and Watchers on the Walls in a feature film at this point? Well, yeah, it's a very fine line. One episode of Game of Thrones is equivalent to my film Centurion in budget and scope. Centurion has a longer running time, but that's kind of the only difference. And I think people now, if they want drama, they watch TV. If they want to go see spectacle, they go to the cinema, which is sad for cinema and great for TV. If you were ever to go for one of those mega budget movies, would you consider doing that female superhero movie everybody's clamoring for? You have a great history of writing strong, cinematic females. I think I'd like to do a big movie with a strong female lead, whether or not she would be a superhero. I'm interested more in characters like Scarlett Johansson and Lucy. I'm less interested I'm less interested in people with superpowers because I can't identify with them. Yes, I'd love to do a big, splashy movie with a great female lead, and it has to be someone I can believe in. Since you mentioned Scarlett Johansson and no superpowers, what about a Black Widow movie? I would love to do a Black Widow movie. That's perfect. I would love to do that. The character is really interesting. She doesn't have any superpowers. She just has extraordinary skills, and the world she comes from, being this ex-KGB assassin, I find that really fascinating, yeah. So that's just a little bit about uh, Neil Marshall. Uh, Another person that had a lot of interesting things to say was Tina Jones. Here's a nice interview with Tina Jones, set decorator, from The Guardian. From February twenty eighth, 2014, it's by Lottie O'Connor. Can you describe your job in three sentences? Again, this is Tina Jones, set decorator for Game of Thrones. My job involves finding props and decoration to help create a set that an actor finds believable and can perform in easily. While staying within a given budget, it is hard work, long hours, and sometimes completely illogical with an air of uncertainty, but it's a hugely exciting and rewarding career for a creative person. No script is ever the same, so each job is completely different, creating its own set of problems to solve and overcome. How did you get where you are today? Just hard work, just sheer hard work, enthusiasm for the craft, an interest in art history, culture and design, and a positive and persistent attitude. Let's read that again. Sheer hard work, enthusiasm for the craft, interest in art history, culture and design. Interest in art history, culture and design in a positive and persistent attitude. Thank you. What is the proudest moment of your career? Winning an Emmy Award for Game of Thrones and having the privilege to watch some of our greatest actors performing within the sets I had decorated. What one piece of advice would you give to women following in your footsteps? Stay positive and be yourself. And that's a little bit from Tina Jones. Uh, another person I don't know if they were interviewed, but their artwork came up a lot is Kimberly Pope. just these wonderful, wonderful concept art images. so I just, uh, Kimberly Pope has a website I just want to read briefly from it. Kimberly Pope is a concept artist working in the film and TV industry. She attended a fine degree. She attended a fine art degree course in extra followed shortly by three years working in graphics and illustrations before applying to the NFTS. To complete a master's in production design RCA for the last decade or so, Kim has worked predominantly in film and TV as a concept artist. Aside from this, she is also illustrated for books. Aside from this, she is also illustrated for books, advertising, and interior design. Recent films include Jupiter Ascending, Maleficent, Game of Thrones one and two, and she even has a LinkedIn page, so Kimberly Pope. Gavin Jones was another person interviewed, and he, he was in uh, per, production in the uh, prop department. I just want to run through some of the things he's working on. Uh, Robot Overlords, Game of Thrones, uh, Keith Lem in the film, The Hollow, Hollow Crown, Grabbers, Annabelle's Kitchen, Gulliver's Travels, Clash of Titans, Green Zone, Pirate Radio, City of Ember, Babylon AD, The Golden Compass, Stardust, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Around the World in 80 Days, Die Another Day, Rain of Fire, Red Planet, Mars Attacks, that's Gavin Jones. A couple other people whose props needed to get done is Gordon Fitzgerald, who's worked on Game of Thrones all 40 episodes of Property Master, The Great Ghost Rescue, It's Wonderful Afterlife, Hope Springs, The Seeker, 1408, Amazing Grace, Breaking and Entering, Derailed, Ripley, Underground, The Jacket, Creep, The Rocket Post, Key, Trial and Retribution, tons of things. Another one of the directors is David Nutter. He was born in 1960, according to Wikipedia. His big break came in 1993, directing episodes of The X-Files. From there, he would go on to direct the pilot, uh, and with help, the creation of Space Above and Beyond, Millennium, Sleepwalkers, Roswell, Dark Angel, Smallville, Tarzan, Without a Trace, Dr. Vegas, Jack and Bobby, Supernatural, Traveler, Terminator of Saracona Chronicles, The Mentalist, and Shameless. He also directed Replacements, a fourth part of the miniseries Band of Brothers, and shared in that series Emmy Award for Outstanding Directing for a Miniseries, Movie, or Dramatic Special. Other directing highlights included Join the Club, an Emmy-nominated episode of the Sopranos, and the 1998 feature Disturbing Behavior. David Nutter also directed HBO series Entourage episodes and the series finale, The End. He's done some commercials for LG. He directed the pilot of The Doctor for CBS. He directed six. He uh, directed episodes six and seven of this season, and then some episodes in the upcoming season three that we're going to talk about soon. He also directed the pilot of the CW series The Arrow. So that's David Nutter. Frank Dolger also uh, was uh, interviewed, I think, briefly, and he's been a producer, and I believe he's he's an executive producer of 30 episodes of Game of Thrones. Looks like he's working on the Frankenstein Chronicles in Norwegian by Night right now. He produced Muhammad Ali's Greatest Fight, The Special Relationship, A Dog Year, Into the Storm, A Number, The Other Man. My Zinc Bed, John Adams, the TV miniseries, Rome, uh, the TV series, great sh- TV series, tons of other great stuff. That's Frank Dolger. Uh, another one of the directors is David David uh, Petrarcha, I believe. I don't know. He uh, was born in 65. He was a director at the Goodman Theater in Chicago. Recent work includes Boardwalk Empire, Game of Thrones, Big Love, Hung and True Blood, He's worked on the ABC series Eli Stone and the Lifetime series Drop Dead Diva. He also uh, won the uh, TCG NEA Directors Fellowship and served as Associate uh, Artistic Director for the Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park and the Chelsea Theater Center in New York City and was on the NEA Theater panel. He taught for the University of North Carolina School of Arts at the O'Neill Center and Northwestern University and has developed work for New York Stage and Film And the Bread Loaf Writers Conference. In 1996, he was voted Chicago One of the Year. In 2006, he completed filming Save the Last Dance 2 for Paramount Pictures. So that's just another uh, one of the fine directors at Game of Thrones episodes. Ashley Jeffers, or Ash Jeffers, or maybe she said Ash Jeff, uh, is another one of these wonderful people that got interviewed and just seemed incredibly excited about the work on Game of Thrones. Again, uh, not a ton of stuff about him, but he's worked on Game of Thrones for 30 episodes. Charles Byrne, The Irish Giant, City of Ember, The X-Factor, You're a Star, England Expects, and Coulter and Company. And that's Ashley Jeffers, Ash Jeffers. And one more director is uh, Alec Sakharov. Alec Sakharov is a Soviet-born director, this is from the Game of Thrones wikia, is a Soviet-born director of photography and television director. Born in uh, present-day Uzbekistan, he moved to the United States in 81, became a citizen in 88 after directing some short films, documentaries, and movie videos and music videos in the 80s and 90s. He started working with HBO, serving as a director of photography on The Sopranos, Rome, for which he won an Emmy Award, Sex and the City, and directed one episode of Rome, as well as some episodes of Brotherhood, Easy Money, and Rubicon. On Game of Thrones, he joined in the first season working as director of photography on four episodes. For the second season, he became a full director, a position he retained in the third and fourth seasons. So that's uh, Alex Sakharov. uh, So that's uh, Alex Sakharov. Hello, hello. This is King Tom and Prince Tom and Lord Tom and, but most importantly, best friend of Sir Pounce Tom and, my best friend is Sir Pounce and he, I, he is my best friend and I, have the honor of being his best friend and I am Tom and, best friend to the best friend a boy could ever have, a cat named a cat named Sir Pounce. Now you got. I say, hey, Pounce, is He said, get to it because the man with the earphone said we need to talk next week about something and sapon said all oh, right so i don't know but he said finish up your adventure this week with just us so we are here we are working on a trial for the boy annan who lives currently in the dungeon which happens to be under my room so he can talk to me oh tom and hello tom how is the rehearsal for my trial going Oh, you didn't have what trial? I, I to the trial today. I'm just kidding, Anan. So we've been practicing for his trial, cause he is innocent, as uh, as uh, Sir has stated to me many a time. And I was practicing to uh, to uh, do do the trial. And then they said to me, they said, "Okay, it was uh, time for the trial." That was the and. And they said uh, they said uh, they, they they decided that the, uh, the uh, Joff decided he uh, when when word came about the trial, many people said, "Oh, we cannot wait to see the beautiful eyes of the stable boy and see his face and see how he's doing." And Joff said, "Well, maybe I'll make his face not so nice." And then Mother said, "No, no, no, that will make him look. But people will take his side. Joff, leave him be." And then he said, where then and they said, "We can't wait to hear him speak, and uh, you know, hear him defend himself." And then Joff said, "Well, uh, this was the talk of the town." They say. So finally, it was decided by Joff that uh, he, he said, "Well, the stable boy will not come to his own trial." So that was the first thing this morning, but because this is after the trial, I'm telling, talking to you. So I said, Oh, no, you're not going to your trial. Uh, they won't let you. And he said, Well, will, will you be representing me, Tom? And I said, Well, if this tummy ache goes away, because my tummy is saying, No, uh, we will uh, we will just sit there with uh, my bones. What happens, Oh, Nan, is my bones freeze and my face freezes from fear. And it, um, this is the tummy ache is the start of it. I'm just giving you a heads up, I'll be honest. And then I will just not, I will say, Yes, Mother yes mother of course it happens when i have to sit with grandfather and he gives me lectures about a battle strategy or when you know you know i have many things many things on it. well yeah, he said well please try and i said well you talk to my tummy talk to my tummy and then he said oh please please tell me and then sir pounce he rubbed my tummy and I said, oh, no, this ain't going to work. And he said, he climbed under my shirt, and I said, what are you doing, Sir Pounce? And he looked at me, and said, I said, oh, are you going to the trial? And I and then oh, no, said, uh, he said, are you going to try?'" trial? And then I said, ah, oh, my stomach still hurts. And then Pounce, he clawed me. I said, oh, wow, wow, wow. And I said, yeah, yeah well, and I pretty much figured out he was doing it. I said, oh, no, I will do my best. And, and so I said, well, Sir Pounce is going to claw up my tummy if I don't try. So anyway, the trial came today it's in joff was talking about he said many of you are wondering where is the stable boy oh where is the beloved stable boy and who is this king to deprive us of our time with the stable boy we love so he is the stable boy with the dreamy eyes i've heard it all and this king and Mother looked concerned for our grandfather looked concerned to said, mm, "What is this boy up to? This is not going to go well. Uh, the people may arise, or you know Joff is not exactly king of the year. Well he is the king of the year, but you know you, you the the king the king king on a pike is the king. I like his chant. They chant that in the streets now, and I said, "Mother, that's funny that you used to say innocent on a pike is the innocent you like now they say king." King's head on a pike is the king's head we like. And she said, well, uh, uh, Tom, and sometimes I wish you didn't have any ears. And I'd say, Mother, would you love me if I had no ears? Or would you say, who is that strange boy with no ears? And she said, just behave at your brother's trial. And I said, well, yeah, it was an interesting statement, Mother. So anyway, you see, Jaff went on. he said, well, I have a little announcement for you all. Uh, many discoveries have been made. And Joff put on his face. That makes you think he's almost a human boy. Where he was a te- patting baby. And he said, your king wants to protect you. So everyone says, oh, the king. The king has a baby. He just wants a... And he said, this boy, this stable boy, is a psychopath, A or A sycopap, A crazy man, he said. He said, he, he will charm you and sweet-talk you, and then steal your things, and steal your daughters, and take them forever, and take your gold, and he's been known to steal, rip off, rip off, and he brought all these witnesses that said, oh, yes, the stable boy. He only gave me three horseshoes and not four, but charged me for four. Oh, they said he was selling hay on the side, pinching hay. Or oh, lighting loads. And then many mothers said, My daughter was never the same. And husband said, Oh, this boy, my you know, my wife will no longer lay with me because of the stable boy and his sweet talk. And for a while, I still liked him. And I said, he's, Well, he's all right, cat, anyway. And then I realized, and they all went on and they said, You know, and the king would say every time, See, I want to protect my people. This is a bad boy, this stable boy. He's a, a split tongue, what does he say, a serpent's tongue, some serpent's tongue or a lizard's frog's tongue. Well, if I say, if he had a frog's tongue, he could get out, he'd just climb out, but anyway, and he, he said, this is a bad boy, and, and, and uh, he said, I just want to protect my people, and everyone was like, okay, well, and Jeff was doing quite well. And they said, "So is there any other? We we know this stable boy has done many wrongs. So why would we assume he? Everything points to him doing this wrong, and this will be his final wrong, and will be protected from him forever. For we will, you know, we will deal him swift justice. I will have Sir Evan will will take good care of him, and we will be done with it. And then and they said, okay." Sir and then he said uh, and is there anyone who says uh objection to this does anyone dare to speak on behalf of this uh stable and now the whole time i was thinking oh, we, i was listening i was listening to joff and i was saying oh dear i don't know if i do not he makes my and then sapance was poking me with a claw so i was paying very strict attention and but then i got a sense well, what if Jeff is right? The stable boy he was talking to me, and he said, "Oh, Tom, and I care about you, or I hope you do your best for me." And I said, "Was it?" Is, uh, and uh, he said, what is that? And you uh, know, uh, what did I say? I said, uh, "Is he, he's tricking me?" And because I don't like to be tricked, I'm tricked so much. And I said, "The stable boy. I thought he was a good boy. I thought it was impossible for him to do this." But what if I'm the fool? And I'm so tired of being played, played the fool. I wish I could talk to this stable boy. And at some point, if everyone was quiet, I said, "Oh dear, I'm talking aloud. Oh no." And mother and grandfather and Joff were looking, and Joff had this look like I was a uh, like I had just sat on a, a frog, and it had exploded on his dinner. And I said, "Oh dear," and he said, "Go on, Tamin. And I said, oh, "Uh." So I wonder if he was lying to me as, as you say, my king, is this a bad boy. He's tricking poor, poor Tommen. And he said, and Jaffa was like, well, maybe Tommen's helping me, but you know, not very well, I think he said, well, then we just would have to deal with him. Tommen. Right. My little brother. Now that is that all? And I said, well, no, because then I say, look in the boy's eyes. And I say, look in his eyes. I see something that says nice boy. There's other eyes I look in, around rooms uh, that uh, that fr- frighten me, and the, his eyes do not frighten me. And I remember the milkmaid's eyes did not frighten me, so I wonder to myself, uh, is he is he a bad boy or not? And I, you know, as a boy, I've been called a bad boy, Jeff, believe it or not. And Jeff made some comment at my sport and everyone had a good laugh and i said well that's how i was afraid the stable boy would do to me and everyone went silent but, and i said did i say something offensive for, and i did not realize i had insulted joff and he said i have heard enough on behalf of this stable boy he goes hey i am ready to make my choice and i said hmm well uh uh what uh, uh, you know, one more thing, one more thing, Joff, before you're going, one more, one more thing, Joff. Uh, before, could you tell me how are you leaning with your decision about this stable boy? Are you thinking guilty, or and would you? Uh, is it time? He's been in that dungeon. I mean, you say, how What kind of? And Joff laughed, and he said, sir, Ellen, sharpen your sword." And then, then he did a move, a Jaff move. He said, mm, strike that, Sir Ellen. Get your dullest blade ready. And they said, it took me a while. I said, what does he mean? I said, "Oh." And some of the crowd gasped, oh. And Jaff said, what do you think about that, Tom? And I said, well, I'm still trying to think about it. I think it was a dull blade, but Sir Ellen is quite strong. Oh, and, and then he, he said, now. I think we can call it a day, can we not? And he said, well, uh, I think this stable boy had said he would like trial by combat, actually, so we'll, we'll, could we just do that tomorrow? And Joff said, yeah, he did that. He walked around the stage. He said, mother, uh, hello, mother, quite quite a trial. And she she made this motherly face like she was she was she uh, smelled something off but was also like, well, yeah, this is a— and grandfather, he just had this had this look. He, he likes to put his hand on his face and his arm down. And you him and mother, they do have similar facial expressions, but his was more. No, he's a, he's just he's a harder one to read. You know, he's judging you, of course, but he's also judging Jaff. And what is he judging? That's the hard part. So I said, so that's what I said the state, and then Josh said, "Well, hound, looks like tomorrow." He'll be a busy man. And the hound like right, did a thing and he said, my king, I'll be my honor to uh, deal with the stable boy and deal with the justice served or whatever. And they said, oh, so the hound, I yeah, I, uh, okay, well, uh, all right. uh So we'll get on it tomorrow. So then, no, you, you guys are listening in. I'm really, this is what I'm explaining. You're listening while I'm explaining it to Anand. So Anand, you hear that old thing? Are you weeping down there, Anand? The hound, yeah, the hound. Were, but you'll have a sword. But but, Anand, Anand. I have another idea. I have idea that was, uh, was uh, is very good. I think is uh, I can lower down something into the toilet, and you could climb out, cause that's what uh, Sir Pounce he's been clawing up my bed sheets. Because they said, "Lock Tom in his room, for you know that's what job said, and and he he said, Jeff, you know, maybe he will sleep with the stable boy when he is through with the hound, and he laughed so, and I said, I understand what you're getting at, brother, so we will we will get you out of the hole now, unfortunately, we're locked in my room, let's be honest, stable boy, and they gave me a room, you know, with no windows and no doors because of my nudity and going to the bathroom." And pouring things and touching people and fits and not breathing fits and all those things. But I think what we will do is uh, uh i will, he said Will will you change place?" I said Oh no 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 I don't trust Jaffa that. I said but you can hide under my bed and uh and then when they come to let me off for the trial you could run tomorrow will be another day, stable boy. And um and then you stay under my bed. And you just, if you keep your eyes closed, no one can see you when you're under my bed. I know it for a fact. So let's go and pull. So we, we we're going to pull. Okay, everybody. So, oh, now I'll be right back. So we're going to pull him out of my, uh, the toilet with this uh, rope we've made from my bed sheets. And um, well, wait a second. Then they'll be like, where is your bed messed up? And I'll say, well, I threw a fit. And then um, well, maybe they'll, uh, I don't know. But we're going to get him out of there. We're going to hide him under my bed. And then we will fight another day for justice. We have another day, I guess, unless they were listening in on me or something. But I don't know about that. But Sir Pounce seems like this is, the, this is what we can do. And I did speak for him, so I'm proud. My stomach is bleeding a bit from Sir Pounce, but it's okay. Best friends push each other to justice. So we are working justice's end here. year. The stable boy does not seem to be up to trickery but he could be and if he is then i will leave him under my bed forever so that is another option stable boy what do you think about that you could just live under my bed and i we will say i will close my chamber pot they will say well this stable boy has disappeared forever we got to take the rope out remember that's about yeah and then i will say well so I, I will be back soon to explain what has happened you know Hopefully good. Uh, uh, well, not good, because it, they'll be hunting you with the hounds, the real hounds, and probably the hound and the uh, dog hounds. So, so Pounce and I will figure out a plan, but this is a plan we are doing. We are acting on behalf of the stable boy, but I don't want to get caught by mother or father, uh, grandfather, uh, or grandfather, or Joff, or the hound. Uh, so he's under, he'll be under my, he's climbing out now. Oh, hi. Oh. You uh you 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 do look very nice. You are a nice person. I could tell. You're smiling. Oh, okay. Stable boy is here, so I'm going to. See. He he seems like he could be friends with me and Sir Pounce. Hi, hello, Stable Boy. So I will I will bid you good night. I am Sir Tom and speaking on behalf of me and Sir Pounce, two best friends who are also friends with Justice and possibly Stable Boy, unless he's trying to trick me. Okay, goodbye. Time time for my prayers. Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller, Smith, Barky, Jester, it's me, Crone, um, it's me praying in, you can probably tell that, um, you know, I'm not you. my usual, uh, uh, what's the word, the best word, what, what, what do you guys, how do you guys, what words do you use to describe me when I'm not around gods? Crone, I know, Crone, come on, I know you talk about me when I'm not there. And you know, I know we were excited for our Penny's adventure. And uh, but you know, Smith, you, Smith, you uh, seem like the more gruff type. But you know, I know, probably say something about me. It's Miller, obviously, you're chat, you're Miller, you chat, you it was jester, ooh, Barky, I don't know what you say. And maiden, you're not in these prayers, but I'm sure. Oh, maiden. I just got. I just saw a Hobbit uh, Bark. You might want to listen up. A couple of takeaways. One, even elves, m- m- male elves, have trouble with. Uh, uh, I don't know if it was father son Legolas, and then the dude, the other dude. I don't know. He was like a, you know, elves is stuff to tell their age. He was like the father figure, but he looked the same age as Legolas, so that was confusing. But he was more in a position of power, may have been his father, Agent Smith, I don't know Agent Smith is, uh, who's whose father he is, but this guy, he was riding a moose, one, you guys, did you hear that, he was riding a moose, yeah, it was it was both strange and awesome, and uh, super awesome, and probably like a little bit of a nod to how great Canada is, um, but uh, they, the male and male intimacy is still hard. Or father, you know, I'm not talking about uh, sexual. I'm talking about like fam familial ties. The Legolas and that guy had some trouble, uh, you know. So not just humans and not just me <sighs> uh, with you know um, being close to other humans. Uh, anyway, that's one uh, takeaway. Other one, I think the moose was a takeaway. No tree beard, Barky, but you know he still give it a shot maybe uh you've already seen i don't know you never like you said you, i don't know barky you never told me what you thought of uh the lord of the rings trilogy this is the high technically i guess yeah it's the hobbit trilogy it'll be a little while before this one's out on dvd i doubt i could sneak you into a movie in tree form like maybe if you were a dancing barky like instead of a dancing like a dancing Groot that I gave you in a little thing. I could probably bring you my backpack and put you in my lap. Uh which would take some explaining, you know, when people all you know, people give you looks uh or they did with the dancing groot when I was trying to show Groot. Well never mind. I say, Yeah, this is my day, dancing Groot. <laughs> and then people would be like, Can you please shut that off? It's distracting. I said it's my he's, he's alive. And they'd say no, it's a dancing groot, and I'd say you know you, I could sell this, I could be selling this on eBay for like hundreds of dollars, just so you know, But I'm here at the movies with it. And they'd say Usher, uh, oh, sure. can I get an Usher? Over? Anyway, Barky. So I don't know what else. So anyway, guys, um, I was not down. Now I'm a little bit in better mood, but I'm down, guys. We gotta talk because I I have been totally. S- Sleepless nights, gods, because of this George R. R. Martin is against fan fiction thing. And uh, so I'm in a, you know, guys, I'm always, you know, that guy, the podcast guy, he's always kidding around about uh, Marjorie's neckline. He's joking about the maid being in love with the maid and Cersei. It's hilarious when he talks about uh, his disturbing. But anyway, I'm not joking this time, guys. I'm freaked out about it because I have great respect for him and I don't want you know if he doesn't like fan fiction, fan fantasy fiction, fan fiction fan fiction, fantasy fiction I mean he's a fantasy fiction writer, but he doesn't want fantasy fan fiction or fan fantasy fiction. He says it's kinda of lazy and that those kind of stuff. And I kinda of agree with them. Uh, I guess I got carried away. I had no intention, well, I guess I did write that Carl Tanner musical uh that was fan fiction, and then this stuff and the stuff with Tom and, which I don't know, but I just gotta deal with one thing at a time. God, so here's what I'm gonna do out of respect for Georgia. I can't stop- her. obviously um not even Georgia R. R. Martin. Could anticipate probably someone developing a religious affiliation partially uh based on his characters so i don't know if fan I mean, he didn't say he was against fan fantasy fiction religious fiction it's not fiction though uh whatever uh, so what i'm going to do is pull out of westeros gods but i'm not pulling out of you what i'll do is i'm going to take uh first my instinct was to uh you know, go back to where I am, where I was, where I'm from. Break the fantasy fiction machine and be, you know, be like, okay, Martin. Uh, but I couldn't do that. Clearly, uh, you know, I have can I? I'm not that, uh, sh- you know, that I would destroy. I got a t- machine that'll travel the metaverse. It doesn't run. It's green. Mach- it's green. It runs on my ruining of Roose Bolton. So it doesn't, you know, it's cheap to run it because I'm full of Rue. Every time I think about Rue Bolton, I Rue rue, what's awaiting him. But uh, so no more adventures for me in Westeros, gods. No more fan fantasy uh, foibles. See, the thing is, I wasn't doing fan fan fiction. I was doing fan foibles. Well, I wish it was fiction because then... Because sooner or later he's going to find out. And then he's going to be like, well, this isn't—he's going to be like, man, I told you no fan fiction and no fan foibles, fan foible facts. But I think like, we cleaned up most of the mess. The only thing that's going to be there is a fake hound. I'll figure that out if I can do some surgical strike on him. Maybe he got lost in one of the seasons anyway. But so what I'm doing, believe it or not, guys, you know, you're like— this guy, I got the fan fiction machine here. I got the door open. So I'm praying into the fan fiction machine. And it's going to you, the prayers, through the metaverse to your ears. So I can still get your help in this world. So that would be like one of those Star Trek movies where they come to our world. So that will be sweet, huh? And that's not fan fiction because it's taking place in my world. And hey, most of you gods were, you know, crone. Um, if you're not a, me- you know, once you're free of the um, warrior and the father and the mother, you're like your own woman. So I don't see the problem there, Miller. You, uh, you're my my people anyway. Jester, you're my people. Barky, you're um, you're 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 my people. I mean, there's tree tree. I mean, the old gods, but I you know no one. Took the time to, uh, you know, coagulate you or whatever into a single tree god. So I did that. And then, um, I mean, Smith, you're technically a god from, uh, like, Crone. But now, I mean, the warrior's got to, you know, pay someone to do his swords. He can't just boss you around. Maybe, and you guys are there. You're just helping me, like, just send your godhead through the fantasy fiction machine and, and do that um and you might be like what's in it for me good point um uh what is in it for you well you know praising your names in 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 this world new recruits I don't know uh yeah I mean come on guys you love being praised that's one of your things so, you know, I got listeners, and they, they like me hear me praise your name. So, and then they probably say, oh, you know, that crone. I do love that they crone. And crone, that's what they say to me. They say, oh, sweet, sweet crone. And believe me, uh, Smith, they go on, the, the, especially the uh, young, attractive female listeners, they say, oh, that Smith and Miller. They are, I don't know, can't imagine what they look like, but there's nothing better than an employed god man, male god. You know, how are they? They, they, I get perfumed letters for you guys, and the uh, handkerchiefs are in there, perfumed, and uh, lipstick on there. Really, I'm, oh wait, even if, if, yeah. Are gods, so you probably can tell. Um, well, you know, if you want to believe that's true, it is true, proof. so that's it, gods. I guess I'm reporting, uh, that, uh, you know, I'm reporting in that that's what's up. I'm out of Westeros, except for, uh, well, you know, one thing, but yeah, well, I, I got an idea, if, you know. So that's it. Uh we want to check in, I'll, next time I talk to you, well, I'm talking to you now from my world and not Westeros anymore. And, uh, you know, we'll have some adventures here. Like, you guys could get, you might like the Bay Area. And uh, otherwise I could teach you stuff. Like, imagine I have to teach you all how to use a toilet. Do you get, well, do you guys have a, a digestive tract? I mean, these are the questions will be answered. It's going to be like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Or something like that. Believe me, uh, you know, uh, you know, we'll have we'll have fun. Change is good, because I don't want to upset George R. R. Martin. Even if he doesn't find out, I have to respect him because he's one of my heroes. So that's again, get- not that you guys aren't important. That's why I'm still praying to you. Believe me, uh, you know, I'm not praying to George R. R. Martin. <laughs> that would be weird. Me praying, you know. That would be crazy, you know, but this is perfectly normal. So, uh, praise your names, Crone, Sweet Sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barkey, Jester. I've left Westeros. I'm praying to you through the open door of a fantasy fiction dime machine that will only go into, uh, you know, fantasy worlds where the authors approve of it or or don't uh, directly express disapproval. Or you know, just sit around here and wait for somebody to steal it that's got evil intense, and uh, I better I better hide it. So I got to go, guys. I'm gonna hide this thing. Maybe this this uh, I don't know how it works is one of the other problems. Uh, but yeah, praising your names, uh, trying to keep you know all gods happy that I like. Not you know not all gods, obviously, Reven God. Father, mother, warrior can go take a hike. The stranger, I'm just trying to dodge him so, you know, as long as possible. And I don't even know who the rest of those gods are, old and new, except for you guys, praising your names. Pentient, gratitudinal, and uh, serv- humble servitude. I'm out. Uh, you know, I'll be here. You guys can get a hold of me through the machine. Um, because I can't leave your phone or anything, because that would be a violation of the uh, Martin. It's like a line has been drawn in the sand, guys. All right? All right, good night.